It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast with Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. A big week on the show this week. We've got David Cameron on the show on Thursday. So if you've got any questions you'd like me to put to the former Prime Minister, I don't know, there's not much going on. But if there is anything you want me to ask him, drop me an email, matt.chorley at times.radio. And I will put some of the best to him uh, later in the week. On today's show, we try to get to the bottom of what's going on on the Tory backbenches. Yes, when Tory tribes go to war, things are going to get very messy indeed. And there are a lot of Tory tribes on the back benches, a lot more than two of them anyway, from the ERG to the Internationalists, Red Wallers to the I Told You So Brigade. It can all get a bit confusing. No wonder some Tory MPs have a WhatsApp group called What the f*** is going on? Well, we're going to try and work out exactly what is going on uh, in the next half an hour. The internal market bill is in Parliament today. The Conservative Party at war with itself over Brexit once again. So who are the different factions and what very specific headaches are they giving the government? Later, I'll talk to one former Tory tribesman who eventually got kicked out of the party for his trouble and a former Tory whip who had to wrangle them through the voting lobbies. But first, we've got Steve Swinford, Deputy Political Editor of The Times and keen tribe observer to guide us through each of the groupings. So let's kick off then with the ERG, the European Research Group. You'll probably remember them from the giddy days of Brexit votes and calls for votes of no confidence in Theresa May. It's the ERG previously been chaired by the likes of Steve Baker and Jacob Rees-Mogg. But getting Brexit done seemed to rob them of their purpose. But I asked Steve Swinford, is the ERG now back and a force to be reckoned with? They are a bit. So they are now led by the vice chairman, David Jones, who's a Welsh MP, is doing a lot of the running on this. Um, And they want the government to go harder than ever on Brexit. They're basically content. They'd be a lot of them would be very happy with a no deal Brexit. Um, But they are particularly pushing for even more repeal of the withdrawal agreement. A lot of them hate the deal that Boris Johnson signed, even though they broadly supported it at the time. And they'd like something that gives us much more flexibility and freedom. And so we are hearing more and more from them. And we could even see some amendments going down in coming weeks. So while there's been this big row about the government saying it's going to break the law, the ERG are actually saying they want to go further. Breaking one law is not enough. Exactly. They'd like to to repeal large elements of the withdrawal agreement to give us more freedom to do stuff. But they're also making a lot of noise on another front, which is coronavirus. So it's no coincidence that a lot of the people who are senior figures in the ERG are also those that are most concerned about civil liberties. So they are kicking up a big fuss about the rule of six, which we've seen introduced, which obviously limits your ability to mingle with other people. And they say that is a breach of uh, a breach of kind of our civil liberties and we need more parliamentary scrutiny of this. Well, that brings us to our next group, who uh, I'm calling, perhaps unfairly, the Buffton Tuftons. But you know what I mean. They're the old school conservatives 
most likely to be found living in the shires, wearing double-breasted suits and quoting Magna Carta. They're low-tax, low-spending libertarians. Think Desmond Swain getting cross about masks in shops. Nothing would make me less likely to go shopping than the thought of having to mask up. This monstrous imposition against myself and a number of outraged and reluctant constituents. Now, these people were once the backbone of the Tory party in the 80s and early 90s, but found themselves out of fashion under modernisers like David Cameron. However, Brexit put them back on the winning side. And as Steve Swinford says, they've been making their voice heard ever since. They're trying to reassert themselves again, and they're trying to get airtime for a debate which I actually think we do need to have as a country, which is a broader debate about civil liberties and coronavirus. Now, it may be that the coronavirus restrictions are entirely justified and entirely correct, and they are the right thing to do, etc. But these are very far-reaching powers, and there has been virtually no parliamentary scrutiny of them. And I think whatever side you're on on this, it's probably worth Parliament debating these powers. Are they the right things? And also Parliament surely having a voice at some point in saying whether they need to continue or, or, or some kind of discussion around it. At the moment, that debate doesn't really exist. And I don't think that's a good thing for democracy. OK, so if on one side you've got the old guard, low-spending Tories, on the flip side you've got the new breed of Tories, the so-called the Red Wallers, elected in 2019 in those famous Northern and Midland seats, long held by Labour, by people like Dehenna Davidson. I'm proud to be a member of this Conservative Party, which has levelling up and spreading opportunity at the very core of its ethos. And they're very keen on splashing the cash although less clear on where the money should come from. They're very, very keen on spending money. Like the Bufton Tuftons, they don't want tax rises, but what they want is investment in their communities and they want Boris Johnson to make good on his levelling up agenda. Um, and they've got all their, their own WhatsApp groups, Matt, which we've been reporting on for some time. They're, they're quite disengaged from the Conservative Party because they've all been in their constituencies. They haven't been in the tea rooms and they are trouble. Um, and Boris Johnson knows this and he's been trying to do some outreach work to speak to them. But we're talking about people like Tahina Davidson, Jacob Young, Richard Holden. And a lot of this came to the fore uh, during Dominic Cummings' ill-fated trip to Durham during the coronavirus lockdown, where a lot of the Red Wall MPs in particular felt they had no option but to condemn his behaviour because their constituents were absolutely enraged by it. And they're not sitting on big majorities, Matt. They're sitting on very slim majorities. And so, in a way, they have to be more authentic and more independent voices if they're going to have a chance at winning the next time the election comes round. So here we are. This is picking through the Tory tribes in the House of Commons. One thing that's worth remembering is the whole of the 29 intake are not all red wallers. Even among those elected in Boris Johnson's landslide in December are broken up into tribes of their own. There's another group of youngish, smart, professional types, often former special advisers who'd worked in government. They get mentioned less often at the moment because they're less likely to rock the boat. As former government advisers, I'll be honest, they're pretty probably still have friends in high places and they don't want to get into trouble. But these former spads are another group that the Prime Minister has to be sure to keep on side. You're talking about people like Laura Trott, about Danny Kruger, but actually that some of them can be quite dangerous voices in their own right. There's a guy called Simon Jupp, who was a former special advisor to Dominic Raab, and he ran a pretty feisty election campaign in which he differentiated himself from some of the messages that were coming out from central government at the time. So even that group is not entirely predictable, um, but I'm sure with a lot of them, you'll see them becoming ministers in due time and, and, and going up the ranks. 
Okay, so they're they're behaving themselves. Let's get back to uh, more of the troublemakers. Uh, there have been a lot of foreign policy rows in recent months since Boris Johnson won that landslide, whether it was China and Hong Kong and Huawei or Russia or even America. And, of course, uh, Brexit. And there were a lot of Tory MPs on the backbenches who defined themselves more by their foreign policy positions. So these are what we're calling the internationalists. People like Tom Tugendhat, who's the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Tobias Elwood, who chairs the Defence Select Committee. Now, they're no friends of the current Downing Street operation, and they often break with number 10 on international issues particularly on things like China, it's not always a harmonious group. So, for example, on Huawei, there's a mix of Tory grandees like Ian Duncan Smith, who are joining forces alongside uh, Tom Tugendhat, Tobias Elwood and others. And they don't always get on because there's some pretty enormous egos among the internationalists and different ways of doing things. uh, But they are nonetheless a force to be reckoned with. And, you know, if, if Boris Johnson hadn't changed course on Huawei, they would sure as hell have made him change course, and I think they would have had the numbers to do so. OK, I hope, you, I hope you're keeping notes on this. Internationalists, former spads, red wallers, buffton Tuftons, the ERG. But there's an, yet another group who've, who in the past have been quite dominant in the Conservative Party, but in recent years appeared to be losing just about every battle. Uh, they call themselves the One Nation Group, essentially centrist to a pretty happy with being in coalition with the Lib Dems, often look to the new Labour playbook on what they should do. And now they're back too. So during the last parliament, the One Nation group was subjected to one of the most devastating purges we have ever seen in the history of parliament. Overnight, Boris Johnson removed the whip from 21 Tory MPs, most of them from the One Nation group, who were trying to stop no deal Brexit um, and they were just summarily chucked out of the party. Now that has to an extent cowed the group and they've been much quieter in this parliament. They've lost a lot of their leaders who people like you know Amber Rudd, Nicky Morgan, they're they're not there anymore um, and they're kind of uh, been slowly gathering force but they're back and this week Bob Neill has tabled an amendment which is co-signed by a guy Damien Green um, who is the head of the One Nation group to try to basically force a parliament parliamentary vote to changes of the Withdrawal Act and they are kind of forming a new centre of the rebellion again. So it feels to me like they are back as a force and they are causing the government problems. And giving the One Nation group some backup are, depending on whether you, how polite you want to be, they're either the grandees or we could call them the I told you so brigade. People like Theresa May, Jeremy Hunt, Greg Clark, people who suggested in the past that maybe the Boris Johnson approach might not be the best one. This was Theresa May last week socking it to the government on the idea of breaking the law. How can the government reassure future international partners that the UK can be trusted to abide by the legal obligations of the agreements it signs? That was Theresa May there. And as many of this... uh, Now, many of this group, the uh, I Told You So Brigade, are former cabinet ministers, so they really do know how to get their voices heard. They are incredibly effective operators. Theresa May, the backbencher, is a woman transformed. She is causing the government problems on many fronts, but particularly on the changes to the withdrawal agreement but also on airport testing. And you watch her on the back benches, Matt, and she's got fire in her, fire in her belly. She, she's really going for them over this. Um, and she really feels very strongly about it. And it would be, we, we could end up at some point with the most extraordinary sight of a former prime minister voting against the, the, the current Tory prime minister, which would be quite an amazing thing if we got to that. You've also got, as you say, Jeremy Hunt, 
proving a massive problem for Matt Hancock, the current health secretary. You've got Greg Clark, who was kind of ridiculed in his time as business secretary as a middle of the road kind of grey man who's come out as a kind of forensic, uh, gives forensic scrutiny to everything that the government's doing and again has real fire. So there's some very dangerous backbenches from those that have been sacked by Boris Johnson in the past. So altogether, we think there's seven tribes we've uh, come up with, all are overlapping sort of in various Venn diagrams. But what is causing the trouble in the ranks and how much can be blamed on the pandemic? I don't mean the, the uh, response to the outbreak, but the fact that lockdown has meant that new Tory MPs elected for the first time last year in particular haven't really been in Parliament to learn the ropes, either to be lent on by whips to stamp, stamp out rebellion before it starts or just to learn how you raise concerns in private before going public on Twitter or wherever it might be. So I asked Steve Swinford how much of a problem that detachment between the front and backbench has been. So it's certainly a problem, but there's actually a much bigger issue here, which is one of fundamental party management. I'm going to give you a microcosm, which is something which is causing absolute mayhem on the Tory benches from every Tory MP I speak to, which is the government's planning reforms, which it basically announced without any fanfare, just suddenly announced them. And they're really radical. They they, they are building hundreds of thousands of new homes across the country with kind of quotas that are set by an algorithm. And on this, they didn't seem to have done any work in advance to try to win over the MPs. And as a result, the MPs are going absolutely berserk about it. And we're seeing that time and time again. We're seeing things that emerge suddenly from the centre without any attempt to bring what what in business you'd call the stakeholders with you, in this case, the MPs. And as a result, unsurprisingly, they're going ballistic. It does strike me that if you actually, instead of being completely paranoid about everything being leaked, tried to bring people with you, you might have a better chance of having a much less disruptive parliamentary party. The other thing, of course, we've seen a lot of in recent weeks and months is U-turns. And the big problem with that is whether it's on Huawei or reopening schools or marking exams, people, Tory MPs, who think they're being loyal and doing the right thing, go out and publicly defend the government, only for the government to then U-turn, and then that MP feels like a wally. Exactly. And a lot of people felt that over Dominic Cummings, where some of them towed the party line and publicly defended him and really profoundly regretted it in hindsight. So the the, the government has limited capital with its backbenches and it really needs to prepare that. And one of the most interesting things about the Tory tribes that you're talking about, Matt, is we are weirdly seeing a coalescence across all the tribes on some issues. So I can give you examples of kind of one nationers who are as concerned as ERGers and the libertarians, the Buffton Tuftons, with the coronavirus legis- legislation and the kind of libertarian side of that. I can give you the same on the withdrawal agreement, where the concerns about breaking the rule of law are as much from Brexiteers as they are from people that would have previously been considered Remainers and voted Remain in the EU referendum. So the government is being hit from all sides, and it's not just an individual group that's causing them problems it's multiple groups on multiple issues and sometimes on the same issues um on on, uh, all the time at the moment and it's really hurting the government so obviously this time last year boris johnson was uh, losing quite a lot of votes in the house of commons because he didn't have a majority but how far off are we from the prime minister actually losing a vote in the commons now the first since his big election victory 
I think we're still some way off it. So if we take the withdrawal agreement, so around 30 Tory MPs are currently mulling over whether they should back that. That's not enough to win and others would like to. But I was just hearing that Boris Johnson is actually giving serious consideration to removing the whip from MPs that rebel against the government on this. So suddenly, like I, I, a lot of the politicians who are making noises about this are equally pragmatic and they don't want to be kicked out of the Conservative Party. So in the face of kind of pure force, I think people will back down a bit. So we could be some way off it, but maybe Huawei later in the year, maybe something like that could could come back. But it's, it's not easy. It's a, people routinely say to me, it's an 80 strong majority, but it actually feels more like the kind of slim majority of the David Cameron era. It's, it's very, very fragile out there and very febrile on the backbenches. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. So that was Stephen Swinford, Deputy Political Editor of The Times, talking us through the tribes. So now let's bring in two guests who know what it's like to be in a tribe and it all go a bit wrong. David Gork was Theresa May's Justice Secretary. Um, he was served in the government under David Cameron as well. He resigned when Boris Johnson became leader and was eventually kicked out of the party uh, before the 2019 general election for voting against the government on Brexit, if you can imagine such a thing. Morning, David. Good morning, Matt. And Anne Milton, uh, also went through the whole uh, business of uh, having the whip removed. But before that was Deputy Chief Whip under David Cameron between 2015 and 2017. So it was her job to try and keep Tory MPs in line. Morning, Anne. Morning, Anne. Are you there? Oh, she's just dropped off. We'll get her back. So, uh, David Gort, let's start first of all. And inevitably, when I mentioned that you were coming on, people were saying, well, you're not a Conservative, so what are you speaking to him for? But that's sort of the whole reason we've got you on. What's it like to go from, in pretty quick succession, sitting around the Cabinet table in a Conservative government to finding yourself in a tribe which sort of marches off the, off the edge of the cliff and gets ejected from the party altogether? Yeah, a little odd. Um, and it did all happen pretty quickly. So, yes, as you say, by the end of 
you know, end of July, I was the cabinet minister. By um, the beginning of September, I was no longer a conservative MP. And by um, early November, I was running as an independent. So, yes, it all happened very quickly. The only thing I would say is that you could see that there was going to be a big bust up coming and that the sort of divides within the Conservative Party had grown stronger and stronger. And to some extent, I could see that we were heading for you know, pretty... Um, uh, we were heading for turmoil and it was all going to be very turbulent. So so to some extent, I had anticipated it. But yeah, but it, yes, it moved very, very fast. And it does become very strange. You know, I was, I was out campaigning and coming... You know, bumping into people who had been campaigning with me for me in previous elections and we were on different sides you know it's a, it's a strange very strange environment Anne Milton I think you've joined us now morning morning good morning Matt so Anne explain to us um first of all what you do as a whip you were def- deputy chief chief whip under David Cameron and people might hear this you know having the whip withdrawn and the whips are doing this that and the other how do you go about basically herding the cats that are Tory MPs to all do what what number 10 wants them to do yeah, I, I think the important thing is the Whip's office should never be surprised um, what the government's planning or what is exercising backbenchers. And Steve Swinfuss, he missed out a couple of other things that I could see might be ex- exercising them. But, you know, there are some grumpy backbenchers out there at the moment. And what you have to do is you, you divide them into four groups. Those that are going to be fine with whatever vote is coming up. Those that are worried... They're unlikely to rebel, but, you know, you need to watch them. Um, Those that are likely to have a problem are likely to rebel. And those that are clearly going to be a problem. And that fourth group, those are the ones that you have to peel down to as small a number as possible. And and the only way to do it, and it's really time-consuming, is to get ministers in, in in the case of this particular bill, that would include the Lord Chancellor, and the Attorney General, um, to speak one-to-one to those people. Um, hopefully, they can reassure them. And then you need, as a whip's office, to go back to that person to see if you've got them over the line. But it's a very tedious and time-consuming business. <laughs> Anybody that wants to be a minister, you've got a bit of leverage with. Um, but, you know, these are extraordinary times, and there are a lot of issues. And if people are grumpy on all those issues that Steve mention then you've got a problem and people might well put aside their ministerial ambitions um because they're pretty grumpy how much of a problem is it that boris johnson has got this majority of 80 which is seen as pretty big but as a result that might slightly give some people the freedom to think well i can rebel the government's not gonna be defeated but at least i've you know got a clean conscience or i sent a signal to my wing of the party or whatever it might be is that more difficult actually than having almost no majority when when you were a whip uh, or a small majority because then every vote counts and you have to you know it's a constant series of votes putting pressure on people oh i think i think that's very valid big majorities aren't necessarily um very comfortable nobody all backbenchers will be united there is no backbencher that wants to see the government defeated but with an 80-vote majority, then I, as a single person, or me with my 10 friends, can easily vote against the government. It won't be defeated, but I will have made a stand. Uh, David Gork, which of the, the tribes, and maybe there's some other tribes that we missed out, but which of the tribes we were talking about earlier do you think are likely to be most problematic for Boris Johnson's government? Well, over, I mean, the, the, the immediate issue is is Brexit and um, it, it, and 
well, perhaps separately, the rule of law, because you've obviously got the internal market bill. Um, I think the sort of combination of the uh, one nation group uh, and particularly sort of more widely those who, who care about the law. I mean, you know, Geoffrey Cox is a Brexiteer, um, but not a member of the one nation group, but but has been very forthright on this particular issue. Uh, you, you have also got those who have been uh, ministers in the past, um, you know, like Theresa May, for example, uh, who do have concerns, I think, about the direction that the government is going on, particularly in the context of the rule of law. And I think they'll be they'll they'll be difficult. But look, I, I mean, I think it was a very good analysis by Steve. You have got lots of groups who have got particular grudges. You've got a government that, to be fair, is facing very significant challenges. And you know, looking at it from the outside, it doesn't seem to me that it's a, you know, in a way, it's not a government that is built around compromise. It is a government that is built around kind of doing whatever it wants and creating dividing lines and then you know, able to prosper in that environment. That worked very nicely for, for Boris Johnson last year in the general election. It's just quite hard to govern that way because in the end, you do need to bring people with you. You can't run a government or a country on the basis of just one person's vision. You you have to be a bit more inclusive than that. Uh, and, and that really isn't the style of this government. Yeah, no, it's really not. Um, Anne Milton, um, does it make a difference that you've got Theresa May? And actually, you know, in the history of politics recently, it's quite often uh, former prime ministers, former, you know, big cabinet ministers have left soon after actually having Theresa May there she's not looking for a ministerial job uh, and if she's speaking out and being critical she could carry quite a few people with her sort of providing cover is that is that more problematic when you you know you can't dangle the prospect of being minister for paper clips in front of Theresa May because she just doesn't want that no, no I, I think that's right and, and Theresa May will hold sway because she's been there and not least she's been there with the Brexit negotiations so she will carry weight. She and Geoffrey Cox will carry a lot of weight. And although neither of them would be people who I think would mount or whip a rebellion, um, they do add a lot of credence to any rebellion that's going on. I would be very worried if I was in the Whip's office, I have to say. I'm very glad I'm not. But, you know, the Whip's office should be on the phone 24 hours a day, nearly finding out where everybody's sitting do you, do, you, do you get the sense that given the you know there are rebels all over the place that actually the whip's office is struggling a bit well it, 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 it can i mean certainly in my time there where we did have a small majority we did struggle you know you have 15 spreadsheets and you try and put them all together to work out exactly what the result's going to be but the whip's office should never be re- surprised by a result so what it needs to do is to go back to the government. I remember, you know, Sunday trading was the one that we had to face three hours shopping on a Sunday. I can hardly believe it now. But um, go back to the government and say, you will lose. And that's the message. And, and that's the job of the chief whip is to speak truth to power and say, you are going to lose. So do you have another plan? And David, um, there's always this sort of slight sense that um, Dominic Cummings in particular is not particularly interested in Tory MPs and their views on things. But obviously, once you start crashing up against uh, their views and how they might vote, that becomes more problematic. Was that your sense when you were dealing with the the Downing the, the Downing Street um, that we see now before the election? Yes, I think that's right. I think, again, you can draw a contrast to the situation last year, because I think the strategy that they had, and I, I'm 
pretty sure it was Dominic Cummings' strategy, was was in a way to contrast Boris Johnson with Parliament, you know, the so-called Remainer Parliament blocking things, even though you know, Boris Johnson had been blocking a Brexit deal on a number of occasions. But they wanted to sort of use that and then go into a general election. And, you know, it obviously worked very well for them. The, the problem is now that in order to get things done, in order to achieve what you want to achieve, you, you are going to need Parliament. You are going to need Conservative MPs. You, you are going to have to pass legislation and you're going to have to maintain the confidence of Conservative MPs. And, and that requires a certain amount of compromise. It requires a certain amount of sort of love and attention, as sort of Anne is, is, is alluding to. Uh, and that, that, as I say, that doesn't seem to be necessarily quite in the character of the government. <laughs> Just finally then, to ask you both, are we blowing this all out of proportion? Uh, you know, actually, could the... You know, the government has got a big majority and maybe it will get through all this. Or when do you think that the that, that Boris Johnson might suffer his first defeat? Let's start with you, Anne. Um, well, they did suffer a defeat. Jane could reasonable on to do something rather peculiar and, and was defeated on it um, back at the uh, beginning of the summer, I think. Um, <clears throat> I think this could be it. And the dangerous thing is, the very dangerous thing is, it's a bit like being unfaithful to your partner. Once you've done it once, you know, it's whole pole easier to do it again. So cutting that rebellion down to the smallest number as you possibly can is very, very important. What about you, David? Do you see more, more MPs willing to do like you did? You know, the, the talk of taking away the whip if people have vote against the government on this one issue as they did to you? Do you how, how big a rebellion do you think it will be? Uh, it's hard to tell at the moment. I mean, there's a lot of disquiet um, about this. I mean, you know, it is natural for Conservatives to to be supportive of the rule of law and so a a flagrant breach of international law is troublesome for an awful lot of conservative mps whether it's enough to defeat it i mean time will tell it it, it, you know it is a big majority they're going to run into huge difficulties in the lords you know when michael howard is essentially leading leading the campaign against it in the house of lords um then i think they, they face really big difficulties the other thing i would say where there is a challenge for them which we haven't really talked about is is tax um, the Chancellor has sort of you know, flagged out that we're going to have to do something. Flagged up that we're going to have to do something about the public finances. That probably means taxes rising. A lot of opposition to that on the Conservative benches. But you know how you reconcile, you know, spending lots of money, um, keeping taxes down, and uh, keeping borrowing under control is really not easy. And you know how they get through that with the Parliamentary Party on side is going to be enormously difficult. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, You can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.